Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is episode number 213. We don't miss much here at the OIS Podcast. So when uh, Roach and Biogen combined to spend over $5 billion for couple of promising gene therapy companies, we wanted to know, we wanted to learn what was going on. So we went right to one of our favorite Wall Street analysts. I got to talk with David Nierengarten. He's the Managing Director and Head of Healthcare Equity Research at Wedbush. And we talked about uh, the future of Spark's product, Lexterna, and uh, about what Biogen's role in ophthalmology might be now that it has acquired the gene therapy portfolio of Nightstar. Biogen, of course, uh, had been interested in gene therapy and ophthalmology previously with its agreement with AGTC. That unfortunately didn't pan out, as we learned in December. But Biogen is back with a vengeance. And what does that mean? Are they going to build a larger ophthalmology franchise? We'll ask David. Finally, we uh, revisited a talking point we had uh, first hit upon when we talked with David in 2015 about uh, the likelihood of a recession. So David revised his, uh, his estimates in this podcast. Before I let you go, though, I'd like to uh, ask you a question. Can I borrow $100? The answer is no. If you value that $100 that much, then I advise you to register for the upcoming OIS at ASCRS, which is happening on May 2nd in San Diego. You need to register before or on Thursday. So March 14th. You register by March 14th, You'll save $100 off the final registration fee for OIS at ASCRS. Again, it's happening on May 2nd in San Diego. Go to ois.net to register. Now let's get into this conversation with David Nierengarten. David Nierengarten, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Lots going on uh, in ophthalmology, specifically in gene therapy. So I wanted to bring in uh, an expert to sort of sort things out for us. Uh, and, and it all happened so quickly. Of course, I'm talking about Roach's acquisition of Spark and then Biogen following up with its own smaller purchase of Nightstar, but still very notable. Uh, let's take them one by one, if, if you could. Uh, and reading about the Roach deal, it really sounds as if uh, things came together well, relatively quickly over the span of a couple of months and, and didn't initially start out as uh, an acquisition uh, attempt to sell by Spark Management to sell the company. Uh, can you take us through sort of how that, that deal came together? And um, did its outright acquisition surprise you? First off, um, yes, an outright acquisition did, did surprise me for a couple of reasons. You know, I think the opportunity for Lexterna is, is, you know, relatively limited, especially, you know, compared to a, a company like Roche's uh, revenue stream. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the hemophilia programs uh, stepping outside of ophthalmology for, um, you know, Spark uh, are, you know, frankly behind, you know, competing programs, especially um, from Biomarin for hemophilia A. Uh, and of course, they basically out-licensed um, nearly all of the economics for hemophilia uh, B, their gene therapy for that, to Pfizer. Um, so it was a, a bit of a surprise, um, you know, for that acquisition. Um, you know, I think the, you know, Roche honestly was playing a little bit of defense on the um, 
for their Hem Libra franchise and um, and the threats that uh, the gene therapy for again for hemophilia A could pose to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, and the Luxterno was kind of a um, okay. Well, you have an approved product, and so that's nice. But I, you know, again, I think the revenues from that are, are pretty small relative to the rest of Roche's um, uh, you know product. Uh, uh, product lines. So what does that mean? Well, let's just delve into that a bit. So it is a smaller uh, product line for, for a company like Roach. I mean, Roach obviously has some other interest in, in ophthalmology. Do you see, how does this influence Roach's um, impact on, on ophthalmology? Does it does it change at all? Do we see Luxterna move to another more ophthalmology-focused uh, uh, I guess you really can't do that. But what, what happens to Luxterna and what happens to Roach? In, uh, in ophthalmology? Probably quite likely that Roche at some point will look to um, sell the ophthalmology franchise, um, honestly, from um, Spark, because I really do think, you know, especially with that price tag, that this was a um, acquisition focused on defending their uh, hemophilia franchise. Uh, so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, maybe um, Roche monetizing the um, Luxterna and maybe other um, ophthalmology assets, perhaps by selling them, you know, the whole uh, kit and caboodle to uh, Novartis, for example, that licensed the European rights to Luxterna. Um, you know, I, I could see someone like uh, Novartis being interested in adding to that, you know, by taking over the U.S. Uh, distribution of Luxterna and then adding perhaps the other programs that uh, Spark has been working on in ophthalmology. How unusual is that kind of deal? If they were to uh, sell Luxterna to uh, to a rival, essentially Novartis, does that happen frequently with these sort of acquisitions? We see that pretty frequently, you know, um, uh, companies you know, swapping out, you know, entire franchises or therapeutic areas, um, you know, to others. I think it's actually a little bit easier um, to take a, you know, relatively contained um, therapeutics area like ophthalmology and carve it out and and sell it to, you know, to another company, um, whether it's Novartis or anyone else. But, um, you know, it, We've seen it before, and I don't think we've seen the end of it. And just finally, on the uh, the acquisition itself, I mean, in my reading, it started out the first offer was uh, seventy dollars a share, then it inched up to seventy three, went up to ninety, and then finally uh, hit one hundred fourteen point five. Is that a is that a typical escalation in uh, pricing for for a deal like this, or where does that fall on things? Uh, definitely on the richer side. Um, you know, the the joke is, of course, you know, the winner of an auction is always a loser. Um, <laughs> you know, they, uh, it, you know, they obviously Roche wanted it, and they, you know, put out the, um, you know, kept on bidding and put out the top bid by by a long shot to secure the the acquisition. Did remind me a bit of a of a baseball uh, free agent signing. You're like, yay, we got him! Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah, but again, I think you know one or you know one or two years of revenues for him Libra um, is is worth you know five billion dollars. So I think that's the, the math that Roche was working through as they were looking to defend their. Um, you know, the hemophilia franchise. And in terms of uh, the future of Luxterna, just to, to follow up on that, is that anything imminent? Do you think you might see that before the close of this calendar year? Does that happen a couple of years down the road? How do these things, what's the timeline on on these sort of things? And any sense as to how it might impact, you know, physicians who are listening to this and just kind of wondering what the heck's going on? Yeah, I, I think, um, I, you know, you could see it, you know, maybe um, end of this end of this year, or early next year. You know, as, as companies always do their year-end portfolio review on the big pharma side, 
I would expect, you know, assuming that they spin it out to, you know, someone like Novartis, which makes the most sense to me given the European um, rights, uh, yeah, I, I would I wouldn't see any any interruption in distribution or or care or you know anything like that. I mean, Novartis is a real company, obviously, that knows how to distribute drugs, and um, yeah, I, I I think it'd be it'd be fine uh, if if it were to be uh, spun out like that. If it were to be spun out to you know a startup biotech company, we've seen that you know with Orchard, for example, buying uh, um, gene therapy uh, candidates from GSK. Um, you know, there might be a bigger question as to you know, distribution and manufacturing, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but if Novartis or a similarly, you know, large, you know, Allergan or someone buys buys them, I wouldn't see any difference. Does Luxterna being owned by a larger company does that um, impact its its upside at all? I mean, it's a, obviously an expensive drug, one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive. Is it a, is an easier sell for a larger company to manage that sort of process than it would have been for Spark? You know, I, I think Spark made you know a lot of progress and and had a, a pretty good um, payer setup and and um, you know reimbursement. I, I I think you know generally speaking, big pharma companies handle the payer questions a lot better than smaller companies. But Spark had had already said it, so I I don't think there's um, you know much advantage uh, honestly to having um, Luxterna in a larger company's hands. You know, from a market access or um, you know, pair perspective. I think it's um, you know, Luxtern or I'm sorry, uh, Spark did a, a good job, admittedly, of, of lining up the uh, pairs and, and setting up the payment um, programs and such with customers and and uh, insurance companies. Terrific. Now let's move into the other uh, big but slightly smaller deal that announced uh, uh, shortly after the Spark acquisition, Biogen's purchase of Nightstar for uh, for 800 million dollars. Now you see the two sort of happen one after the other, and you almost get a sense that they're connected. Are, are they connected at all? There was this was no uh, runner-up uh, prize for Biogen. It seems this is a kind of a separate deal, or, or was there a connection? I, I think this is definitely actually the, the the pure play ophthalmology, you know, gene therapy acquisition here. Um, you know, again, I think Spark was majority definitely um, by a long shot uh, the, the hemophilia franchises that um, Roche wanted to protect and, and acquire. Uh, Biogen here clearly is, you know, buying gene therapy for ophthalmology. That's all Nightstar did, does, and um, that's what Biogen bought. So, you know, I think this is a positive for, um, you know, ophthalmology gene therapy and, and knowing that there is a acquirer bidder out there for um, these assets. And, you know, I think, um, you know, this marks the entry, you know, for Biogen into a re-entry, I should say, into um gene therapy. They did have a deal with HETC uh, in the past that they ended, um, you know, and then they came back to the well and, and decided to acquire Nightstar. And Nightstar has a, a couple of products in uh, early clinical trials. Uh, do you see this acquisition uh, accelerating that development, impacting that development at all? One of the very interesting um, uh, characteristics of this acquisition was actually Biogen bought um, Nightstar at the peak of risk, quite honestly. Um, yeah, I definitely had a positive opinion on Nightstar's programs, but mm -hmm. admittedly, in the middle of recruiting a phase three study in choroideremia and um, beginning their dose expansion in the phase two for uh, retinitis pigmentosa is, uh, you know, 
there's no other way to put it. It's the height of the risk <laughs> profile or timeline, you know, for, for a biotech company. So it was very interesting to see them get bought here by Biogen. And so I have to think that Biogen one is, is, you know, positive on the potential for gene therapy for those two indications. And then two, uh, Biogen has to be positive on um, Nightstar's pipeline, which actually is quite interesting. They do have programs, um, you know, in the works. And I think importantly for Biogen, they have access to, uh, you know, the Oxford and Bob McLaren's uh, development pipeline of new gene therapies for, um, you know, uh, rare ophthalmology or ophthalmic diseases. Uh, So I I think that that was probably, uh, although I don't have information on uh, Biogen's team, but I think that was probably a, a major component of this acquisition, the ability to access those um, programs in the future. And do you think the price, 800 million, reflected that risk? I think the price, you know, re- reflected the the risk, but it was, um, it's still unusual to see companies get bought at that stage of development because, you know, just looking at it from Biogen's point of view or, or any other acquirer who buys a phase two or phase three asset, it's almost this bureaucratic mindset on the business development side where there's only downside. If I buy this um, company in the trial fails, I get fired. If I pay more, you know, after the trial succeeds, well, you know, I pay more, but I know it's succeeded and, and it's up to the commercial team to make this, you know, acquisition and financing work. Um, that that was a, the unusual characteristic of, of the acquisition here. Did Biogen management indicate why now? I mean, is this a direct response to the disappointing news from AGTC that Biogen needed to have another gene therapy program for some reason? Or... Did Nightstar put itself up for sale, and, and this is the only time they would have had to, to have snapped up before maybe someone else did? Yeah, I, I think there was a little bit of, of that feeling. We might as well buy them now. You know, if, if we want to enter into ophthalmology gene therapy, we might as well buy them now. We are taking some risk, um, but we do have it mitigated by the um, you know additional pipeline assets that we have access to. I, I think is a is a fair summary of the reasoning you know and it might not be available later you know after after those uh data readouts so i i I think that's fair to to consider that i'm curious as to why biogen is so focused on having an ophthalmology gene therapy program i understand why you enter the program with agtc and that doesn't work out one might think that well maybe this is an area where we don't want to be but they are obviously committed committed to the space yeah um, yeah so i think they've, they've been committed to the space for several years um you know they they've they found a new partner here to with nightstar clearly they see you know an opportunity to expand into ophthalmology gene therapy and it must be you know attractive uh to them uh to do so so you know i think they you know, see positive things for these, you know, gene therapy, you know, assets in ophthalmology and, you know, it represents just a, a new direction for them uh, to add to their currently approved drugs and pipeline. So, you know, it must be an attractive area, one they want to expand in and, and one that they are doing. Excellent. And and do you think this will change the uh, the size of the scope of the trials at all? Might, be, might they be looking for more clinical sites to, to work with or will we see any other kind of impact in the field? You know, that, that's an interesting question, I think, generally for gene therapy. I think it's, um, I think expanding the number of sites and such are, are more difficult, um, especially for uh, these kinds of gene therapies, the subretinally delivered gene therapies we've seen 
you know, from other studies, again, uh, um, you know, mentioning AGTC and such, that um, surgical variability and, you know, training is important. And so I, I, I think the idea that we can suddenly open up a bunch, or Biogen can open up a bunch of new sites uh, is, I think, a little over overly enthusiastic. It takes time to train surgeons and to, you know, get them used to doing um, these subretinal injections. Uh, so I, I actually wouldn't anticipate a, a, a rapid increase in, in sites uh, coming online. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I, I think it, it's not like uh, removing a mole or something like that. You know, it's, it's a it's a real surgery. You know, with with fine uh, you know fine motor skills required. That you know it doesn't just happen. You know, you don't just train someone off the street to to do it. So um, I, I think it's going to take a. Um, They'll, they'll deliberately or slowly, relatively, I don't know what the right term is, but uh, yeah. um, they'll expand the site, but it won't be super quick. Yeah, let's put it that way. You're not opening up a Dunkin' Donuts franchise. It takes a, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And just uh, re finally regarding Biogen, I mean, this is a, obviously a, a, a bigger commitment to ophthalmology uh, than its deal with HETC being an outright acquisition. Any indication that they're going to buy more ophthalmology products and really build out a, a larger franchise in the space? Yeah, it would it would make sense. Um, uh, I I think it would make sense. I think it's probably going to be uh, at least initially limited to um, you know if, if it's non-gene therapy treatments, it's going to be limited to other you know rare disease treatments uh, in um, you know in ophthalmology. So. Yeah, I, I don't actually have a um, have anything on the top of my mind that could be, you know, a non-gene therapy treatment for uh, rare disease. But that that would be, I, I would expect, a logical outgrowth for Biogen, and then maybe an expansion into, you know, more common um, eye diseases after that. But I, I would expect a kind of a, a stepwise uh, expansion uh, in that. You know, direction. Well, that's uh, that's a lot of insight on these two deals. Thanks for that. Final question. I don't know if you recall when we spoke back in 2000, I think 15 or so, you had uh, talked a bit about the uh, the indicators of a of a oncoming recession, <laughs> and, you, and you you had given <laughs> yep. us a, a timeline. How are things looking today? Do you uh, do you still anticipate uh, what, what do you anticipate coming forward in the next couple of years? What are the what do the signs tell you? Yeah, so you know, I think the this is you know similar. I mean, we we actually never really had a. A yield curve inversion, and the economy has continued to expand. I think in the near term we're going to have, uh, you know, it's what'll be called a, a profit recession. You know, I think um, wages have grown a bit. Um, I think profit margins are going to shrink on on the general publicly traded companies, um, which will cause the stock market probably to take a, a bit of a breather in the next, um, you know, six to twelve months. I, I don't think unless um, rates get raised. Um, more than expected that we'll see a um, outright recession in the next again six to twelve months. So, you know, I, th I think it looks all right. Um, you know, if again, if uh, the Fed decides to, to raise rates or you know profits uh, really drop off the edge of the cliff here, um, you know, we could see you know obviously something different. But so far, you know, so far so good. Um, and you know, uh, keep an eye out though if uh, uh, yields invert. Um, you know, and the recession you know starts to you know unemployment starts to tick up, things like that. Recession starts to become more apparent. You know, get the hell out of stocks. I can't say anything else. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
beyond it. I mean, I, I know people have commented that biotech and healthcare and such are countercyclical and all that other garbage, but it's garbage. Um, <laughs> stock, you know, it, just look at the last, you know, look, just look at what happened the last time around, last two times, last three times. I don't care. <laughs> stock is it's stock. bad news for the stock market. Yeah, recession <laughs> is bad news for the stock market. There's no two ways about it. So all right. we'll yeah. keep our eyes peeled. David, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for the insights on these uh, two interesting deals. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks so much to David Aaron for joining us. I did neglect to ask David one question during the interview. I uh, essentially was wondering if he anticipated more gene therapy acquisitions happening. So I emailed him and he said right away, replied right away that he thinks there will be. And he identifies the prime acquisition candidates as those that have a pipeline or of course an access to a pipeline or have manufacturing capabilities so the buyer can leverage that tech to develop other gene therapy candidates. So this is uh, certainly an interesting area to watch. We'll continue to report on it as it impacts ophthalmology. Once again, podcast listeners, you could help us out by subscribing to the OAS podcast if you haven't done so already, by having your friends listen to and subscribe to the podcast, and by letting us know how we're doing. You can give us a ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. That also helps others find the podcast. Or you can reach out directly to me. I am on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom on Twitter. Or you can email me. My address is Tom at healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y. Healthag is the producer of the OIS podcast, the OIS events, and other podcasts and conferences. So check us out at healthag.com. And finally, if you'd like to save $100 off the registration fee for OIS at ASCRS, go to OIS.net and register before the end of the day Thursday. That's March 14th. Go to OIS.net, sign up for the May 2nd event, and we will see you in San Diego.